Welcome to the Thursday edition of Unexpected Points. I am joined by Brad Spielberger, PFF underscore Brad. We're going to talk about all the coaching hires, which are starting to roll in now, the GM hires, what's going on with the Saints and Sean Payton, cap situations, everything else you could possibly imagine. A lot to get through here. So let's go ahead and get to it. got uh so far so good it seems like uh getting the music going here uh yeah i'm trying out a new thing here uh, a little sound clips some other things will be going on here but we have brad rising star here at pff i have to say uh more and more so i see you you're on the main uh well, what are they called the 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 twitter things people do spaces you're on the main spaces it's you doug kide uh Ari you're the main man here so you are the perfect person to talk to in this situation but you're also a Bears fan so can I trust your analysis re-Bears hires in GM and coaching yeah I will try my best to be you know objective and unbiased um obviously pretty excited but yeah I mean I think there's a lot to explore here and, and examine here um their process was was the most wide scoping of any team so they kind of it looks like at least on the outside they, they did at least look into every flavor of hire and ultimately did land with some classic football guys, quote unquote. But I, you know, I, I do think they at least arrived there um, perhaps in a more, you know, realistic and, and responsible manner. Yeah, we, well, well, we'll, we'll test that. I mean, I guess the overarching theme I'll say for this, when it comes to coaching, when it comes to GM hires is that we know nothing. Right. No, no one really knows anything. No one's inside of these buildings. Presumably there's some sort of background checking slash referencing going on here. So we'll talk you know, somewhat confidently about our, our opinions, but no, in the back of our heads, you never know what's going to happen because often we see coaches, they fail one place, they succeed another place. Uh, GMs fail one place, they succeed another place. GMs fail in one place for a number of years and then succeed in the same exact place for, for a number of years. So it, it can be all over the map here. Um, as I mentioned, Bears, let's get into Bears first. We'll go through the rest of the situations and then dig specifically into the Saints because I want to get into some of the, the cap hell or not cap hell uh, discussion, rhetoric, discourse that's on that's on Twitter. So let's talk Bears first. So the first, I guess the second hire here, but almost simultaneous hire with uh, Joe Shane over in uh, New York was Ryan Poles coming to Chicago. So he had been with the Kansas City organization for a while. And I know on this podcast, I discussed an article from Kevin Clark that came out, I don't know, probably a month ago about hiring 101. And one of the mistakes that they mentioned in there, again, I'm starting off negative here. Sorry, sorry, Bears fans, but I'm just putting it out there. One of the mistakes they mentioned is the default hiring process because People who are making these hiring decisions, we're talking about owners, others, they don't necessarily know what they're doing either, right? Uh, the default hiring process is, let me grab the number two from the Super Bowl winner. So who did the Bears grab? Well, they grabbed the number two for, from the team that has now been to two straight Super Bowls and four straight uh, AFC championship games. Do you have any concern about that? Because the, the reviews for polls are pretty glowing out there. 
Well, funnily enough, this will only bolster your belief. He's actually not the number two in Kansas City. Uh, they have an assistant general manager uh, named Mike Berganzi. Oh, the number three. They're thinking outside the box. They're going, they're going go. down they're to number three. Outside the box, getting creative with it. Uh, it's pretty funny, yeah. So, so they're, it's not the number two. And already, uh, Mike Berganzi's brother, uh, who is a linebacker's coach with the Colts, it sounds like he will be maybe the defensive coordinator, but he's he's going to join the, the staff in some capacity. So all these relationships, as you mentioned, are, of course, a huge factor. There is a lot of talk behind the scenes. And I think, yes, you and I don't know who is responsible for each decision in each building. <clears throat> Frankly, owners and teams don't either. Like they, it is it is not designed so that they can say, hey, Ryan Poles, give us your, your notebook on every draft pick the Chiefs made the last five years. And, and what did you think? And what was your grade on this guy? You know, it's, I'm sure that exists somewhere, but I'm not, you know, I don't think that's getting in the hands of these, these people. So end of the day, you do have to trust, you know, all these connections and, and these, um, you know, but I will say this about Ryan Poles. He was a finalist for four jobs now in the last two cycles. So again, could that be just because, you know, he's being talked up for maybe good reasons or not? Sure. But I do think it's probably fair to assume that if you're a finalist for GM in four different buildings, you probably know what you're doing, at least to some degree. Yeah, yeah, you're probably not uh, like shitting yourself in the interview room. At least that's that's, that's got to be something that's going on here. Now, explain to me since you're following this stuff again intensely, what is the Bill Polian connection here in Chicago? Was this for the GM hire too? Was it for the coaching hire? Was it you know just getting some advice on how they could transition uh, Justin Fields to wide receiver? What was the connection there? So, yeah, so as you mentioned as well, I mean, these owners are not football guys, and that, that varies, you know, building to building. But the Bears owner, George McCaskey, said in his end-of-season press conference, like, I am not a football mind. I'm a fan, just like you guys, um, which you can kind of question how he's been involved in this for, you know, his entire life and still doesn't really know football that well. But but nevertheless, they brought Bill Pullian into not only for his connections and his Rolodex, but, yes, also just because he understands you know, football at a better level than them and maybe can can ask some better questions of these candidates. And so I think the one obvious connection is Bill Polian is, is apparently a huge fan of Indianapolis Colts general manager Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard actually worked with the Chicago Bears for a very long time and was the finalist in the 2015 cycle that landed Ryan Pace. Um, Chris Ballard worked with the Kansas City Chiefs for a while before then becoming the GM in Indianapolis. So I'm sure Ballard talked up Ryan Poles a lot, talked to Bill Polian about that a lot. Um, and, and But by all accounts, though, as for head coach, even though it is Indianapolis Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus, Polian allegedly has stepped away and let Ryan Poles handle the coaching decision. He did all the interviews by himself, Poles did, and allegedly um, demanded that was the case, that if he was going to take this job in Chicago, he wanted full ownership and full say over the head coach hire. So who knows if that's true, but, but that has been reported. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had some leverage there, right? So he was, you mentioned, he was a finalist for some other places. Now, but this was kind of, this was the second round of interviews, was it not? This was because it happened pretty quickly here. So even at that point, who do we have? We had Eberflus, we had uh, Dan Quinn, right? And we had, was Hackett in the mix? I'm trying to think. Uh, Jim was Caldwell was the, was the last one. Oh, Jim Caldwell. Was, where did this Caldwell thing come from? I mean, not, not that I have anything against Jim Caldwell, but I feel like there's been a, um, with the Urban Meyer situation, suddenly like Caldwell got this rebirth as why why hasn't Jim Caldwell been p- part of it? But so anyway, so of those three names, let's just set Ryan Poles aside. He seems like a young guy. I've heard that he's hip 
he's hip to the numbers and stuff. So, you know, let, let, let's let, let's be happy about that. At least he's not, you know, Dave Gettleman. We're talking about the Gettleman. I'm going to talk about that a little bit in the statement that we get from Joe Shane in uh, the Giants. Like on the Gettleman scale, where Gettleman is one and then 10 is maybe like uh, Andrew Barry or someone like that. He's he's far away from 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 the from the Gettleman zone. Um, but over to head coach of these three picks, I mean, I could see some encouragement again, knowing nothing, at least for the fact that it's not a retread, even though Dan Quinn seemed to be a popular name, he pulled himself out. You don't know if that's like, uh, you know, I, I'm breaking up with you at first before you break up with me. So sort of situation in these, in these hires, but he is, at least it seems like maybe a little bit more of a forward thinking guy and a younger guy to go with polls. A hundred percent. And I don't, I think for both of them, they're not going to be Brandon Staley and, and Quasi Adolfo Fomenza, but I do think they are going to be closer to that end of the spectrum than, yeah, than, than your Dave Gettleman's. I mean, look, for, for Eberflus, his his finalist interview was scheduled before Ryan Poles' finalist interview. So, again, if you want to maybe assume there was some home cooking there, I think it is possible. Um, but I do. I, I think Bears fans are going to be excited that it is not a quote-unquote retread. Dan Quinn did have a lot of buzz this this cycle. You know, Denver apparently was, was a big fan. He was a finalist with the New York Giants as well. Um, but I do think, you know, Eberflus has been around the game for a very long time was actually in college for a while, um, has made a bunch of stops in Dallas and, and of course, Indianapolis. So he has a ton of experience, even though he is a first-time head coach. Um, He is not, you know, I think he, in their minds, he probably balances out the fact. I'm sure he's older than, than, than Ryan Poles. So I think there's some balance there for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure uh, everyone except for... Like whoever is going to get hired from Sean McVay's circle is is older than Ryan Poles, who I believe is thirty six. So yeah, he's on the he's on the younger side there. Got his pictures. I mean, not not for me to say, as I'm someone who's kind of older, maybe looks a little bit younger myself. But uh, he looks like he's almost coming out of uh, for his for his prospect visit. When you look at Ryan Poles in some of these pictures now, Dan Quinn, do you think he was really a serious candidate in some of this? I mean. Th- and if you're going to step back, if you're Quinn, I'm a little bit surprised because he's getting buzzed because the defense played well, I think. Maybe, you know, it's only a year removed from when he was head coach. So it's not, so maybe he does have buzz out there anyway. But I'd be a little bit scared if I were him moving away and saying, you know what, I'll come back into the cycle next year because what if the the defense takes a nosedive or the team generally takes a nosedive? It could be a little bit harder for him to work his way out of the cycle. Were you surprised to see him step back in this process? Yeah, I totally agree with you because if you look historically, you know, like it's it is very cyclical where a hot name. I mean, if I told you Nathaniel Hackett was going to be one of the hottest head coaching jobs two years ago, you probably would have laughed at me. Right. I mean, the Jacksonville Jaguars fired the guy um, as offensive coordinator in 2018, I want to say. So, yeah, I I saw that Hackett had one interview last year. So so I was wondering if he had zero because that's what I was always wondering. I was like, does this guy have zero interviews? But he had one. Didn't seem like it got very far, though. Right. And this year, on the other hand, he's, you know, got a bunch. I think he got four interviews and and obviously Denver got that done. He was their first finalist. So, yeah, I think there is some concern there. I mean, look, rookie Micah Parsons in Dallas having this breakout phenomenal season. I'm sure there was a lot of that being attached to Dan Quinn. And, yeah, the defense also in Dallas was one of the worst defenses in the NFL in 2020. So, you you know, the only room to go was up. Now that there are expectations, you know, it could be tough. So I, I do. I think Dan Quinn... You know, there's no guarantee he just all of a sudden is right back on the scene again next year. But by all accounts, it does sound like it's not random that Kyle Shanahan was his offensive coordinator in Atlanta and that he was consistently able to find a lot of coaches that have now gone on to do good things. I think that happened because he's a guy that people do want to work with. And I think for these defensive coaches, I think they hear the chatter. and I think they realize that fans and people saying, 
you should prioritize offense if you can, and all that matters is quarterback and all these things. You know, even though a guy like a Sean McDermott in Buffalo has, has obviously been able to foster an environment for Josh Allen to become Josh Allen um, instead of being Josh Allen, uh, you know, I, I still do think that is kind of the vibe that is around the NFL. And so that will matter if he is going to become a head coach at some point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the the debate of wanting to have an offensive play caller type as your head coach has almost become like a, a commandment at this point uh, written on tabular stone, but I'm, I'm not quite so sure about it. I mean, the situations that we've seen now with offensive coordinators leaving are very often they're leaving from being underneath another offensive head coach who is calling the play. So in some ways an inexperienced type of offensive mind who are then leaving underneath there, who are not necessarily the play callers who are then leaving underneath there. I mean, the guys you can point to who have left, who have been with a defensive head coach. So if you're concerned about your offensive uh, coordinator leaving, I mean, Shanahan's the big example. Um, but then again, if you look at the numbers with Shanahan and Matt Ryan, the 2016 season, you know, best best uh, offense in the NFL. The 2015 season before that, though, I think they were something like seventh and eighth. And they were around seventh and eighth the two seasons um, after the Shanahan had left. So not a huge difference. There was... Maybe you could point to um, a couple of times in Tennessee where uh, LaFleur left and then uh, and then Arthur Smith left. But again, the situation where the offense wasn't even good when Matt LaFleur was there, it became good with Arthur Smith. It stayed pretty good when he left. And then the Falcons offense is no good with Arthur Smith. So I don't know. There seems to be a lot of situation here where I think talent, who you're bringing in, is very, very important on the offensive side at quarterback and having a head coach who kind of knows how to manage everything is probably a lot more important than this focus on, we got to get that offensive mind in here because then we won't lose him the following year when our quarterback plays well and everything else. Yeah. This is frankly a prior of mine that has been challenged all off season by folks that, you know, have done stuff like this and, and conversations with people is that, a lot of former GMs will tell you they do not think head coaches should also be calling plays, regardless of what side of the ball it's on. It's happening a lot, lot though. It's happening a lot right now. Yeah, 100%. And I think it is going to be a growing trend um, because they just think there are too many CEO responsibilities. I mean, we, we still see weekly errors with, you know, obviously with fourth down decisions, but also just with timeout, you know, and clock management and all those things, but also even just getting the right personnel on the field, getting lined up correctly. Like I think folks maybe overlook what were all the things that go into these jobs. And so, yeah, I think another thing that the teams are going to try to do, which we saw and is still happening right now is building out staffs for these coaches, right? So historically the, the trend and, and Dan Quinn's an example, apparently when he came to Atlanta, he was also negotiating with the New York jets and by having that leverage, he, he first got control of the 53-man roster, so he was making the final personnel decisions, and he basically had full autonomy to hire his entire staff of his own. And look, I'm not saying he's just going to reward all of his friends, but maybe even one or two. And if you have one or two bad coaches, I mean, that could, that could ruin a whole position group or, or whatever the case may be. So I think teams are also going to try very hard. The example that's happening right now, it sounds like, is in Jacksonville, they're trying to maybe get Vic Fangio to be the defensive coordinator for Byron Leftwich, which I doubt is what he wants because he probably wants to bring people he's worked with in the past. So, yeah, I, I think we have gone a little bit too far with you need to find the next Sean McVay. Obviously, a lot of them are working. I mean, Zach Taylor, even with Cincinnati now in the AFC Championship game. But like you said, if, if Joe Burrow is not Joe Burrow, that's probably not happening anyway. 
Yeah, yeah. And then uh, re Dan Quinn, one other thing about him is I have to mention, because when his name came up in the hiring cycle, I cannot get out, out of my mind the fact that Dan Quinn, you know, as a nerd who focuses too much on fourth down decisions, perhaps the worst fourth down decision in the history of the NFL. Well, at least since we've been looking at these things. And that was uh, down four points at the one yard line in San Francisco, three minutes remaining, kick the field goal rather than scoring the touchdown and uh, trying to go for the touchdown. Spoiler alert there, the San Francisco picked up a couple first downs and they they never got the ball back and lost that one. So uh, maybe you can evolve. You can evolve, I guess, if you're Dan Quinn, but some of these boomers, I, I get I get worried about them. What about the second thing that seems to be a little bit different in this cycle? Well, not different, but I felt like the NFL was moving more towards the like philosopher King as head coach, who then is choosing his GM almost in a lot of circumstances. We saw it maybe to a degree with Shanahan. We saw it probably to a degree a year re- a year removed with Matt Rule. We saw it, Kevin Stefanski, I believe, was hired first before Andrew Barry came in with the Browns. We're going back to a little bit more traditional format this year where the GMs are being hired before the coaches. Well, what do you think about that dynamic? I think it's super interesting, and I think it comes down to what the building is comfortable with. So another example also is Sean McDermott was hired before Brandon Bean in Buffalo, right, um, and apparently exactly. had, had a big you know role in, in bringing Brandon another year. You're removed, I believe, there too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think it, it comes down to: Are you willing to give your coach kind of that 51 percent, which in reality is 100 percent when it matters? But yeah. you know, and every building is different, right? So I've heard that. The Chicago Bears in particular, like they want their general manager to be the top guy. He he is supposed to have more power than the head coach. He's supposed to have final say in the 53-man roster. And of course, the head coach is very involved, can suggest players they want to bring along. Other buildings are different. So, for example, in Jacksonville, um, you know, Urban Meyer reported to the cons. He did not report to Trent Baalke. And and for all intents and purposes, on draft day, if Urban Meyer said, I want this guy, and Trent Baalke said, I want this guy, they're taking the guy that Urban Meyer said. So, I think it depends. I think that whatever decision you make, you have to make it clear to both people and, and there can't be tension and, and and the guys can't have unrealistic expectations of maybe I can grapple some power away. Like the reason Seattle probably worked for a long time and yes, their roster construction has been pretty poor the last couple of years, but, but Pete Carroll is John Schneider's boss. I mean, that is the reality of the situation and Schneider has been able to manage that and deal with that and, and it obviously is okay with that construct, but it is interesting. It kind of seems to fluctuate back and forth based on, you know, what was successful in the past couple of years. But um, ultimately, that, that seems like an ownership thing to me. Yeah, yeah no, no, I agree. I, I think it's like the, the the model where the coach comes in first and then essentially picks the GM. They have such a dominant role in those circumstances that I think there can be a lot of mistakes when we're talking about personnel decisions where you're thinking like a coach rather than you're thinking like an executive and a personnel person at the same time this year, there's been some alignment talk, but I think there was a lot of alignment talk in previous years. And I do think you get more alignment because one guy's the other guy's boss basically (laughs) and makes all the decisions. So you're going to have more alignment in that, in that circumstance. Then if you're going to have two true potential adversaries within the organization who can point the fingers at each other, there there's a little bit less finger pointing potential when it's one guy who's just running the show and the other one who's executing his vision. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about Eberflus again, as being the head coach here. Do you care at all about, 
football let's get into some football guy stuff you know what scheme they were running how that'll be implemented in chicago uh, those sorts of questions to how he will be as far as affecting the real you know X's and O's of what happens with the Bears. Yeah, so another trend that I think we've seen grow the last couple of years, which has made it less important, whereas I think back in the day it really mattered a lot, um, is that base defense isn't isn't base defense anymore, right? I mean, yeah. most teams are playing nickel coverage anyways. They're bringing that fifth defensive back on the field. But it is notable for sure because, I mean, the Bears and the Vic Fangio system, which was kept when he left, it's all about three defensive linemen with outside linebackers that are stand-up players. Um, and Eberflus is the exact opposite. I and mean, he runs four down linemen, kind of a bit of a Tampa 2 background, uh, worked you know in Dallas with Rod Marinelli. So actually kind of going back to Bears history a little bit. But it is a change for players. I mean, Roquan Smith might become the Will linebacker, the weak side linebacker instead of the Mike, um, which is kind of what Darius Leonard does in Indianapolis. And the very interesting thing here is, Robert Quinn, which I criticized when he got signed, Robert Quinn has a quote from back in the day where he said, I, I prefer playing a 4-3. I want my hand in the dirt. I don't like standing up as an outside linebacker. And this past year, I mean, he did have 20 sacks or whatever it was, 19 sacks. But they, you could tell they tried to put him more in that position and, and less of what kind of the defense tended to do. So I think there will be changes in Chicago, but I do think it's something that matters less nowadays, is, is less drastic. And frankly, unless as long as you have a couple core guys that you're comfortable with kind of switching their role, um, I think it's not worth worrying about too much. But it is it's definitely interesting and notable to keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah. Maybe also with Darius Leonard becoming now the new standard bearer for the peanut punch. Maybe they can bring that back also to to, to Chicago. Um, it's it's amazing how much of his value is really derived from forcing fumbles, uh, Leonard forcing fumbles in, in the run game there. Uh, okay, so before we head off to some of these other teams, let me just quickly mention 25% off, promo code unexpected. You get all the locked article content from myself, from Brad, from everyone else at PFF. We got lots of draft and free agency stuff in the pipeline, including, I believe, a new update to the draft guide, which is coming either uh, February 1st, somewhere around there. So that'll be fantastic to get the full-length draft guide there with all the different information that you'll want to have. Go ahead and use promo code UNEXPECTED, 25% off for everything at PFF. Okay, so the next team we'll go to, again, I'll, maybe I'll go back in chronological order here, to Joe Shane, I believe. I tried to figure out the pronunciation because when he was being introduced, uh, they kind of just mumbled it. I'm not sure if they knew how to pronounce it, but I heard him say Joe Shane. So Joe Shane from Buffalo, again, the number two. So the, the, the Giants were unique in their uh, not – interviewing anyone i believe who came outside of a of a scouting background everyone was a scouting background there uh polls i believe was in the mix there too um and then we had shane here who's been the right hand man to uh brandon bean in buffalo so polls comes in he says you know what you guys need to do you need to draft patrick mahomes and then shane comes in he goes you know what you guys need to do josh allen let's do this no no really so do you have any feelings about this i listened to his press conference he had some quotes about analytics he sounded again it wasn't gettleman calling it a crock and telling us that uh jonathan stewart circa 2018 and not lost a step but you know, it wasn't necessarily the most confident in him that he'll be this process oriented guy. Cause I know he really loves to get out there and to put his eyeballs onto every single player that they could potentially have. 
Yeah, so, you know, I think at this point, probably the more notable takeaway is just that it's cool for us to see that you can no longer have that dismissive answer. I think right. nowadays, if you were dismissive of it, there would be more flack than more praise, which, which hey, it's it's baby steps. And, and, right, he's, I, you, you know, don't want to be memed. You don't want to be memed, basically. Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> I said you don't want to be memed, basically. That's, exactly. that's what I yeah, And I think me. you would be now if you were like, I don't yes. care about that. Again, there are probably GMs that say in press conferences that they like it, and then they ignore their guy entirely. But but still, that's probably happening around the league. But still, it matters that it's growing. Um, and, and of course, I mean, hey, we'll we'll see how it goes. With, with we'll get into a general manager that is you know of that background. But I think New York's process was interesting. Um, Adam Peters was also a finalist from San Francisco. A couple of really names that have been thrown around a bunch, but definitely seem to be kind of more football guys as well. Um, with Shane, though, you know, he did mention that he loves to go on the road to scout a ton to do all these things. Um, I, I think Buffalo, though, has shown that they are they're open to looking at information. I, I think they have shown they've added some staffers in the last couple of years. They actually have an extremely strong front office that I think will be able to handle the departure of Shane pretty well because of the talent they have there. But, yeah, I doubt he's a revolutionary. But, yeah, I think he's a step above Gettleman for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we'll see what happens with the coaching hire and everything else there. I mean, the Giants were one of the most coveted organizations historically for people to want to be a part of obviously you have the fact that they're in new york but you have a history of super bowl wins over multiple generations and a pretty strong fan base and fan presence which is you know a tier higher than than the than the long-suffering jets fans i would say so we'll see if they can you know if they can get this higher right and move forward it does sound like daniel jones you know I'm not too hyped about the Daniel Jones going forward experience, but it sounds like they're in for it. But I don't think we can trust anything at this point that we're hearing. Um, if anything, there's just no downside to pumping up your current quarterback. If anything, it seems like malpractice to any to do anything but that at this point. Yeah, no, that, that's just the standard line you have to say. Whether they actually believe that or not, we will, of course, find out. I mean, especially as we know, this draft class is not perceived to be very strong at quarterback. So until you, you know, lock in some trade for Russell Wilson or something, you should just be pumping up Daniel Jones, boosting his value, boosting his confidence. I will say, though, I think there is some truth. I mean, their offensive line was so bad. They fired their offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett, in the middle of this season, which didn't help anything. I mean, they, they clearly the situation was not good. And I do think it's maybe fair to say, give the guy one more year. The big thing, though, is the fifth-year option decision for quarterbacks now, as we saw with Sam Darnold in Carolina, good luck to them getting out from under it. But it used to be where you could exercise it, and then if you basically if you cut the guy before it became fully guaranteed, there would be no penalty. Now, if you do it, the minute you exercise it, it is entirely fully guaranteed. You can't get out of it. You're stuck with that guy or you're at least stuck with some, some of the money. So that is a big factor here. But I still I would probably say I lean towards I expect it to get exercised. Um, one quick note on Shane too, just just like come through. And I think is interesting. He did work in multiple buildings. I think another thing that people hold up against polls that he was only in Kansas City. He was under kind of different leadership. They've had a couple of GMs since he's been there. Um, but I think Shane's interesting because he came from Miami, then to Buffalo, um, and now going to New York. And I think a lot of people that I've spoken with said there's a lot of value in just seeing how different buildings do things. So, again, maybe not analytics and stuff like that, but he's not married to one process which kind of, as, as you and I would probably agree, is kind of the, the beginning of, of being into quote-unquote analytics is not being tethered to the system that you think is the only way to look at things. 
Yeah, no, 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 I agree. Actually, you got me thinking about polls again for a second. First question I would ask is how how involved was he in the drafting of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire versus <laughs> versus uh, the free agency signing of um, of Jarek McKinnon, who is now their, their lead back all, all of a sudden there. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything wholeheartedly there. Let's move on. Now we're going to go into the, the promised land, the – the 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 prodigal son the 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 return coming to take over to the legacy of Sashi who's behind me right here by the way who's now uh, coming down through the Browns organization and that is Kwesi Odofo Mensa now Kwesi is okay so his background which is very interesting to me because he was director of research and development. I think he may have even been one level below someone else who was involved in kind of the the more analytical side on well, analytics side may not be the right characterization, but anyway, on that side of things in San Francisco, he came to Cleveland when Andrew Barry was hired a couple of years ago to be a part of a dual right-hand man, sort of second-in-command, kind of a split second-in-command with Glenn Cook, who was also interviewed at a couple of different places. So he went from a position where, at least as I see it, maybe I'm wrong, kind of has like no real power at all to being a GM in less than two calendar years. And again, he's the first GM, I believe, in history who does not come from either a scouting or a cap management type of background. Uh, and he sounds good to me. To me so far, what what do you think about this hire? And is there like you play devil's advocate at this at all about lack of experience, things like that? How, how do those stick out to you? Yeah, you know, I would say the thing if you want to poke at lack of experience, then is that you need to be confident in, in the infrastructure around him. So, I mean, first and foremost, I, I believe this search was in part run by. Um, Rob Brzezinski, who is the president of football operations with Minnesota Vikings. He was there for the entire Rick Spielman tenure. He is their cap guy and their football administration guy. But I think when you have another powerful person, and look, Kwesi, I think as of today, is now his boss or whatever you want to call it. But but still, having someone that's been around for a very long time that knows you know intricately other things that go on can maybe open things up for Kwesi to focus on other areas. But my takeaway, which obviously is not a takeaway of quote-unquote talent evaluators, is if I was a scout in Minnesota, I would feel more empowered, not less empowered. I mean, I'm telling you yeah. right now, I am fairly confident that, that Rick Spielman, the general manager, who I do think took everyone's opinion into account, and definitely, you know, he's, he's discussed in some podcasts since he was fired, his process, he definitely listened to everyone. But there's no doubt in my mind that at certain times, Maybe they were between two people for a draft pick and 51% of the room liked a certain guy and 49% but Rick liked the other guy and they went with that guy. And I just, I think Quasi Adolfo Mensa would not do that. I think he would be willing to listen and trust the people around him, whatever area it may be. It's not all just about drafting, of course. So for me, yeah, I just, I just don't see how people view it as a negative for their scouts. If I'm a scout, I'm saying if I do a good job, and demonstrate my work and, and, and I'm successful a couple times, I'm going to have the ear of this guy and he really is going to trust my talent evaluation so much. So he might even, you know, start recommending me to other buildings. So I just, I just don't get the negativity around that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're being very generous with this uh, 51 49 dynamic and when a GM can, I mean, these dudes are just calling audibles on draft night sometimes. I mean, I've heard, no, I've heard stories. There have been documented evidence. I mean, one being, the Shanahan Lynch draft where they first came in where Peter King was there in 2017 when they took uh Joe Williams who's a running back 
from off of their board. He, he They decided going into the draft, he was disqualified from being a pick to trading up for him because Shanahan decided on the night of the draft that they wanted him. Another story, and this story could be apocryphal. It, it, I don't know if this is true or not, but Rick Smith, who's the former GM of the uh, Houston Texans, who I believe was back in the cycle, at least for some first interviews this time around, in an interview after he he had been let go, um, I don't know, it was probably two years ago, something like that, an interview, he said, now this, like I said, the veracity of this, I cannot, I cannot attest to, but he said when it came to trading up for Deshaun Watson, he said he looked around the room and said, who wants to make this trade? Everyone said no. And then he just, but he just, but he, you know, fought through the, 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 the will of the crowd and, and, and pulled the trigger anyway. Now to me, that sounds awful. Like that sounds like a horrible process for how a GM would go about things. But I don't think these guys are scared to say, I know what's right above 75%, 80%, maybe even 99% of whoever else is in the room. 100%. And I think that's the natural progression of if you're going to be in this scouting circle the whole time and then become the top scout. I mean, why would you not feel that way? Not to, again, not to say that these guys are a monolith and that they can't do things differently, but I just think it's kind of hard. I mean, in their nature and in their, um, you know, that that's what they've been trained to do. And so I agree with you. I think it's hard to go against that. And, and look, I'd also say you mentioned there have been some other non-football guy, general managers like cap guys, things like that. I do think still when you're in an NFL building, even though Quazy is about less than a decade, but I still do think, as he's even said himself, like he would ask questions of talent evaluators and try to find as much as possible out. I don't think the guy has a zero understanding of football. I think he probably at this point knows what he's talking about, knows what he's doing. Um, but yeah, again, I just come back to if I was there, I'd be happy. Uh, maybe maybe I'm unique in that in that perspective. But No, no, I think you should be. In fact, this is my first official trying to integrate a clip in here so hopefully this goes out right so this is quasi talking about exactly that how we knew nothing and the advantage of that and i mean i think i agree with everything he says here and this is just not something you're going to hear too often from a general manager kind of sped up there All right, that, that, that seemed to work okay, although I kind of was fast there, slow there for a while, and then fast, and we'll, we'll, we'll work on the clips going forward. But that's basically what he said, and I, and I, I mean, I think that's just fantastic. If you want to hear from anyone is that, you know, you're going to listen to other people, and I think that can also be a problem if you're the top, top evaluator in some of these situations. So let's talk about Coach for a second here. Uh, obviously, Zimmer was such a dominating force there for a long time. Uh, I don't know if they have a finalist sort of list nailed down at this point you may know a little bit more than me because i think they're going to want to approach things the same way the bears did with allowing quasi to to interview some of these guys nathaniel hackett was in the mix he's out dan quinn is out kellen moore sounds like he's out uh the other names we're looking here D'Amico ryan's todd bowles raheem morris jonathan gannon do you know are, are these guys all still in the mix i believe the four names you just mentioned i think are in the mix i do think it sounds like jonathan gannon might be headed to houston uh at the same time it's been silent out of houston the last couple of days but those three first names you mentioned I, I do think that they are looking to potentially find that you keep hearing this theme that they they regret the day they let mike tomlin leave the building um he was the defensive coordinator of course the year before he became the steelers head coach so kind of just a young galvanizing coach 
Um, and I don't think they care about offense versus defense. Maybe that changes with Kwesi now in the building. Um, I will say for them, and, and the Bears said this, and, and, and maybe you could think it wasn't the case because Polls did not interview anyone that wasn't already a finalist in Chicago. It sounds like Minnesota is going to bring Kwesi in and say, here's the guys we like, but by all means, if there's someone you like, please let us know, and we will give that guy a legitimate fair shot at this job. So, you know, Tomiko Ryans is interesting, of course. He's the defensive coordinator in San Francisco, where Mensah obviously spent a good amount of time. Um, but I do. I think this is going to, like, I think they're going to take a pause and, and reopen the search. I don't think they're going to shoehorn some pairing along with him. No, yeah, I mean, I think being deliberate about these things is the best way to go. I mean, I, I'm a little bit more on the, you know, coaches don't matter quite as much as what we may think they they do, if only because so many of them are so good. It's it, it's kind of like running backs in a way. Like, there's so many of them that are so good that if you don't get that one guy who you really wanted, um, it's not – it's better to have a – a robust process and be sure about the person you're picking, then rush the process to get the one guy that you think you may want. And you mentioned the offensive defensive thing. I mean, we'll probably be overreact to who they pick because, Oh, you know, the Browns, they got Kevin Stefanski, a play car. So then that maybe they are on that side of things. But at the same point in time, the story that was reported by Seth Wickersham in an ESPN article on everything that happened with the Browns back in, you know, 2016 and Hugh Jackson and Sashi and everything else. The the report was that Sean McDermott was the choice of Sashi and Paul DePodesta and company, whereas ownership decided on Hugh Jackson. So again, a defensive coach there. They're looking more for a, a certain particular type of mentality and uh, work habits and, you know, someone who is process oriented and, and those sorts of things is going to be a little bit more important than offense versus defense. So that'll probably be the case here for, for the Vikings also. All right, so before we go forward to some other teams that are still in the mix, I want to talk about Western and Southern. You want to win a chance to the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football or financial success. Winning starts with asking us questions. A need to know. If you have a need to know behind the scenes for Al on Sunday Night Football, how about your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFS very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights. So you can put you ahead on both your financial and fantasy scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500. Coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernandsouthern.com slash feast. One more time, that's westernandsouthern.com slash feast. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. And also, DraftKings, four teams remain. Only four teams left for you to bet at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team, bet $5, and potentially win 280 in free bets. Not a new customer? You can still take advantage of DraftKings daily fantasy offering. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5, win 280 in free bets if you win. That's promo code PFF for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right. Got through that. Um, 
actually, you know what? I forgot. We still have a hire here, and that would be the Nathaniel Hackett hire that was announced today for the Denver Broncos. And GM was not in the mix here for this one. Uh, they still have George Payton. Or is it Patton or Payton? Payton, right? Payton, George Payton there. And Dan Quinn was another person who appeared to be one of the front runners there. And he is out. Hackett is in the first official hire of the cycle. We talked a little bit about Hackett before. Again, again, it falls into that bucket of who knows if this guy will be good or not. But the Aaron Rodgers talk is going to be hot and heavy this offseason. Exactly the way Aaron Rodgers likes it, I have a feeling. Uh, but not the way a lot of other people may lie. Well, sports, it's like a love-hate thing. Sports writers, of course, love having something to talk about constantly all the time, but we may be getting a little sick of having to hear about this. So do you think this really hints at Aaron Rodgers potentially coming to Denver? Because I was getting vibes that maybe he was going to stay in Green Bay. Some things seem to ameliorate as far as the relationship is there. But again, I'm making very non-educated guesses from the outside. Yeah, so I think even he has said on record that the relationship with GM Brian Gutekunst in Green Bay got better and that they worked through some things. He he appreciated that, you know, he obviously forced the Randall Cobb trade, which was, you know, okay, I guess, and, and had some say, I don't know, whatever, whatever your perception is. Jake Kumaro, if you can get Jake Kumaro, oh my God, this will be, it'll be over. <laughs> yeah, his favorite, yeah, his favorite. That was a story that they, he came out and then supported him and then they cut him the next day or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, we're we're a long way removed from that. I do, I do think, and not to take away from Hackett as a coach, but I do think that a huge part of this is Aaron Rodgers. I mean, there was a quote this year. So Hackett is known as a, a creative coach that makes things interesting for his players. There's a quote from Rodgers this year where he said his favorite part of of every week was some like kind of game or something that Hackett had had schemed up for them, and they do. So I think he likes him a lot. And I think, look, if you're Denver, you had Vance Joseph, who honestly had a good defense, just not a good team. Then you went to Vic Fangio, had a good defense, just not a good team. I think going offense here, even if you don't land Rodgers, which I think happens, you're not going to beat Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and, and Derek Carr by just trying to come up with this defense that can stop them. You have to do everything in your power to maximize your offense as much as possible. And I think that's why when, when, when the Quinn rumors were buzzing, it just made no sense to me why you wouldn't go offense and see if you can find a quote-unquote quarterback whisperer and all those things. So I, I, th- I think I like the hire from that perspective. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, going for Rodgers coming to the AFC West is not exactly getting easier when you're, when you're going out of the NFC North. I mean, it seems like to me, NFC South, that sounds like the place to be right now. If Tom Brady leaves, then you have Tom Brady gone, uh, Sean Payton gone. Obviously, Jabriz had been gone. Matt Ryan is in, like, cliff decline over there. And then you got the Carolina Panthers doing who knows what there. Uh, that may be the first, I guess, 5-12 and 12 team to make the playoffs next season out of the, out of the NFC South. Um, but I don't know how much that really plays into anything there. But, I mean, just focusing back on Green Bay – it sounds like they have some ways to work around bringing Rodgers back. He has a 47-ish million dollar cap charge in 2022, and if they wanted to trade him or cut him, I mean he's not going to get cut, but if they wanted to trade him, it sounds like they're going to have to take, you know, 26 million dollar cap charge, but they have the rookie contract left over for for Jordan Love. So, you know, if they keep him, that gives them a lot of restructuring room along with extending you know, Devonte Adams, because if you don't keep him, I don't know how people could be confident in what will be left on this team. It sounds like a lot of 
the equivalent of like first world problems when you're talking about a fan base that's up in arms because they can't get over the NFC championship hump. And now, and now things got even worse this year. But that's what I'm seeing a lot on, uh, on the, of course, Packers Twitter. You just get the craziest elements of all different uh, parts of society. But Packers fans on Twitter are almost ready to, to get rid of Aaron Rodgers, which seems insane to me. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the fact that you're continuing to make those games but not getting over the hump, it, it, look, I think they could. I think there's, I think we would probably agree there's a lot of randomness to playoff results and all that. But they still got the one seed with a billion different injuries. And so even though I do think there is a path forward to to keep Adams, to keep Rodgers, to keep most of the guys, I think they probably would have to cut one of, if not both of, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith. But Zadarius Smith didn't play an entire a snap until the playoffs. Um, and Rashawn Gary was one of the you know breakout players. Like Green Bay is a good is a good franchise, a well-run organization. I do think it's interesting, and I don't think players care, but it is crazy to go from this NFC North. I mean, the Lions, Bears, and Vikings are not going to be good next year. That is that is kind of an objective fact, and I'm a Bears fan saying that. And to go to a division with good quarter, it's just crazy. But I I don't think it's a factor. I think if anything, in his mind, he's like. Better, a, a challenge. I can, I can beat all these guys twice a year. You know, I, I think that's how those guys operate. Yeah, I mean, if there was a team out there that truly had a non-championship ceiling that they can't get through, it would probably be the Minnesota Vikings right, right at this point. And, yeah, outside of a Justin Fields second-year breakout, that's really the only thing I think that, that could stand in the way of the Packers go ahead and, and mark that division down and you know that give Aaron Rodgers more time to work on his his budding uh uh media empire that I'm sure he'll he'll launch afterwards in podcasting empire uh with his friend Joe good friend Joe Rogan all right um let's talk about teams that haven't done anything so far so the Raiders were a little bit late into the GM cycle uh, a lot of Harbaugh talk there haven't heard a lot else out of there, or maybe they've just been kind of gliding under the radar. I'm not sure what's happening. Do you hear anything like what the ordering way may be? Are they going to go and try to do the coach's king thing here and get Harbaugh, and then Harbaugh is going to choose the GM? What do you think is going on there? So this is a perfect example of what we just discussed. Yes, the Raiders are an organization that is very comfortable, if not prefers, for the head coach to be the top dog. I mean, they want that guy to build the culture, establish everything, and then bring in their general manager. Yeah, John Gruden did not take a directive from Mike Mack at any point in the last couple of years. And I think that is what they're comfortable with. And I do think the fact that it's moving slowly, we even saw an article come out from The Athletic that, you know, Josh McDaniels is not as strong of a candidate as people seem to suggest. Although I should say our PFF's own Doug Kide said he hasn't heard the same, that, you know, he does, he still thinks McDaniels is a possible option for them. But yeah, I think the reason why it's playing along so slowly is even if the hire isn't Jim Harbaugh, I I think they want him to tell them no. And, and I think they haven't gotten to that point yet. And so until they do, um, I think they're, they're moving slowly for a reason. I will just kind of throw in getting into kind of deeper weeds. So they did a couple interviews that were not public. They, uh, apparently they're a very quiet org and I guess it helps when the owner is the only one doing it. And if he's not leaking, then exclusive. I guess no one this else is knows. A, un, is an unexpected points exclusive, or did you already tell this? To no, no, this came, it came out, but it, um, oh, okay. no one knew until the interviews had already happened. Whereas usually, yeah, no, I'm not breaking any news on the pod. I apologize. All right, okay, um, I, I'll take that back. No yeah. exclusives. Okay. <laughs> um, but but they, I mean, they're not messing around. So so just to point this out, Brandon Hunt, who is most people expect will secede Kevin Colbert with the Pittsburgh Steelers. The, the overwhelming expectation is he'll be the next general manager. 
He doesn't even take interviews that often. He declines them a lot. He gets offers a lot, but kind of, uh, you know, believes he, he's entrenched in Pittsburgh. He agreed to an interview with the Raiders. And so I don't think that happens unless the Las Vegas Raiders are, are talking to powerful and respected people and potentially giving them runway to maybe do things their own way or, or handle things how they want to. So I think they're exploring everything. I think it's going to be a long time coming before they make a decision on either spot because they're not even really competing with candidates that, that other teams are looking at. So kind of a fascinating situation there. But I, if you told me to guess right now, I still think Jim Harbaugh might be walking through that door. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's real quiet. There's talk, you know, they want to make a splash. And maybe they, maybe they should make a splash. I'm not necessarily for that, but no one seems to really care what's going on there. So I think they kind of need to, to, to make a splash potentially there. Uh, okay, let's talk about Jaguars and... You know, I've lost faith. A lot of institutions in America have taken a hit during these these last number of years in the pandemic. And one of them, uh, it would be, uh, what was this guy? Jay Dilla? Dilla? Oh, e, <laughs> oh, e Dilla? <laughs> e Dilla. Jay Dilla, E Dilla. The whole Dilla franchise took a hit here uh, when the left witch to... Jaguars, which may still, which may still happen, of course, was looking probably likely to still happen. That was being reported, uh, retweeted by our own Brad Spielberger, by by the way. Also, uh, didn't didn't end up happening here. Is this really what it appears to be? Which is right now, it's a game of chicken where the left witch wants uh, Trent Balky out, and the ownership does not seem to want to, you know, doesn't want to capitulate to that at least at this point. Yeah, so we could probably have an entire podcast about this, although I don't think any of them would appreciate it. But uh, Byron Leftwich agent Jimmy Sexton is one of the most powerful people in all of football. I mean, he is, he's probably, you know, after the 32 owners, he's probably on the next 10 people in terms of things he's dictating and moves that he is causing to happen. And so he reps Leftwich, and it seems like Byron Leftwich does not want to work with Trent Baalke. Um, and there's also probably other terms as well. I've heard indications that, that that some teams are not in love with the staff that Byron Leftwich wants to bring with him. I think the, the the suggestion, you know, Vic Fangio interviewing there potentially for a defensive coordinator job not to be head coach would obviously lend credence to those rumors. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I still think E. Dillon is going to come out ahead. I, I think maybe he jumped the gun because the, the, the documents were not signed. But really fascinating situation because – when Matt Eberflus and Nathaniel Hackett were still candidates, I think the Jaguars had leverage. I think they had an ability to say, look, these are qualified candidates. Obviously, they're qualified because two other teams have already hired them. And they're willing to work with Trent Baalke and you know, so on and so forth. Now that that's not the case, I think it's going to be hard for them to kind of win this negotiation. So I still do think it'll end up with Byron Leftwich. And it sounds like, and this is now coming from a, a blue check mark Arizona Cardinals beat reporter, but it sounds like um, one of their front office members, Adrian Wilson, and of course Byron Leftwich coached in Arizona uh, before going to Tampa Bay. He wants to recruit him to bring him in as GM. Um, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, I, I'm betting on my guy Dylan coming out ahead. Yeah, yeah. You know. Again, Dilla, you, you should always, you should never fully write off Dilla, what Dilla's had. Adrian Wilson, it looks like he was also at least initially interviewed from the Giants. So he's not a name out of nowhere. He had another interview with another franchise. You mentioned they were together in Arizona. I believe, according to the timelines there, he was just an area scout at that point that he hadn't really, he hadn't uh, moved up to director of pro personnel. And then he moved up even further. I think after that, that was after Leftwich had gone to, um, 
had gone to Tampa Bay, but there does seem to be some relationship there. And I think it makes sense from, from Leftwich's perspective. I mean, you can bring in a guy, you can bring in a younger guy, you can have a little bit more power there. Um, Fangio, something about Fangio just, you know, kind of like exudes like curmudgeon sort of energy that I don't know if I can blame someone to not be around, but the guy sure knows how to coach defense. So if you want to, if you want to retain your job, that's probably a good thing to look for there. Um, Dolphins, what's going on here? Because I'm not hearing much as far as what's going on there. Greer is obviously well entrenched there. And now the most recent thing I'm hearing is that or that's being reported is that they like their defensive coaching staff and want to keep some of those guys. So you, they want to keep Tua. They want to keep Greer, of course. They want to keep defensive coaching staff. Sounds like they're really going to have to find a candidate who's just willing to slot in and not and be pretty marginalized from day one there. Yeah, and the thing is, that was the exact opposite with Brian Flores, and it's why he's now you know looking for a job. I mean, he had five offensive coordinators and four offensive line coaches in four years. Um, never, not great stats to have there, regardless of the reason behind Keep them on their the toes. Context. You got to keep them on their no. toes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, like we talked about, I think this is going to be a growing trend. How coaches respond to it is going to probably vary coach to coach. You know, like if you asked Jim Harbaugh to do this, he'd probably just kind of shrug you aside and say no. But look, Byron Leftwich, for example, I mean, the guy's been a coach in the NFL for like five years. So it's not crazy to suggest that. I think in Miami, they did just say the three finalists now expected are all offensive side. So Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore, San Francisco 49ers offensive coordinator Mike McDaniel, who's now internet famous for, you know, talking about oh, Mike I forgot Jones about and, Mike McDaniel. Okay, nice, nice. Yep. Okay. Um, and, and then Brian Dable with the Buffalo Bills, who was the, the Miami Dolphins offensive coordinator a long time ago, but, you know, has familiarity. So if one of those guys is willing to, you know, inherit a defensive staff that has done a good job, um, it, it could be a great move, but it, yeah, it, it it creates complications. You are not talking to the same candidate pool if you're trying to force that upon them because some coaches just have leverage to say no, thank you. Um, we'll see. I, I think it is it's hard for them to fire Brian Flores, this hot young defensive coach, and then go defense again. Like I think they have to go offense. Um, we'll see if they stick to that though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this could be the second straight year that they're going in on Tua too. I mean, remember they had the third overall pick, they could have, you know, theoretically taken Trey Lance or taken whomever else that they wanted to at that point who would have been left over, but they didn't. They traded back and then they moved up again to get Jalen Waddell to help, presumably to help Tua and to help that that offense. I mean, they need to get some offensive linemen probably there would help some, some guys who could actually block. And, and the Mike McDaniel thing, okay, I'll say about that. I think he's excellent content and uh, he's excellent content, but – I have a feeling that he's more like a good assistant than a good head coach because something will happen. And when things aren't going well, I have a feeling the guy just could get completely roasted by people because he'll say something or he'll do something like, I don't know if he has that head coaching gravitas, but you know, I've been wrong many, many, many times before. So that, that could be the case there too. All right. Before we get to the saints, Sean Payton, what they're going to do there. One more ad read here. And this is the best, of course. Um, Brad, strap in for this one. Manscaped, okay? Roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. That's right. Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and our sponsored Manscaped are here with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. (laughs) It's always the thing you forget. You know, you get the reservation in advance for Valentine's Day, the gifts, everything else, but, you know, you got to make sure the balls are ready, too. This V-Day, it is time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. 
That's promo code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped created their products for a night just like this and will make your V-Day date say, wow, what a great set of balls you have there. Now, I had to ask this for Ben Brown when he was on there. I've never had anyone compliment my balls before, but then again, you know, I've been out of the dating game for a while. So like that kind of sounds almost like the flight, like would you be in, you almost be insulted. I feel like, cause if someone's complimenting your balls, that's like a noticeable thing. They're not complimenting at the same point in time. Don't you think? I think that's fair. You know, whatever Gen Z is into, <laughs> I know I'm a bit younger than you, but whatever Gen Z is into, you know, you know, free, you know, free I know, you're, you're, you're a married life, man but... now. <laughs> You're a married man now, so I don't know how. Like, if 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 you're not receiving ball compliments, if that's really uh, affecting your your life as much here. But for those of you who who want those compliments, and again, drop some hints if you have to beforehand. You know about about uh you know hey my you know something about the balls before and maybe you'll get that compliment. Twenty percent off, free shipping. Promo code PFF Manscaped.com. That's twenty percent off, free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use code PFF. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow. With Manscaped this Valentine's Day. I think Arrow, it must be like a, trying to go for some phallic thing there too, I think. Okay, so let's go to the Saints here. Sean Payton, Payton out. First on Payton being out. Um, like the notion that he can come back, what what has to happen here? Because he's gonna there's going to be a feeding frenzy amongst NFL teams when, if he decides, I think it's more of when, decides to come back. but. The Saints have him under contract, I believe, through 2024. So what's going to happen here? Are we talking about draft picks? What what are we talking about here? Yeah, so the expectation would be that if he does come back, the contract will continue to run. um, So it doesn't kind of toll like players' contracts do. So he signed a five-year extension. Yeah, he signed a five-year extension in 2019, I believe. And actually a pretty cool story that came out from Pro Football Talk that apparently he was maybe making a move to the Cowboys then. Um, but the Saints were able to, you know, keep him you know, along, and probably I'm sure Drew Brees finishing out his career had something to do with that. Obviously, he's no longer there, and and it's been a you know a quarterback carousel for the ages since then. But so yeah, I think he will come back if he's still under contract, which I think he would be. They would have to make a trade, and we've seen some huge uh, you know trades for coaches in the past. Obviously, John Gruden went for I think two first round picks. Um, Mike Holmgren got traded for a first round pick, I believe. Like that. I think what, what the idea would be is, all right, if we wait a couple of years, he has one year left on his deal and he's not going to coach for the Saints, then they'll be able to agree to compensation that's kind of less, you know, less lofty, less draft picks, but still make that happen. I do kind of think that is that is what's going to happen here. Um, frankly, unless, you know, a network like Fox Sports or something like that comes along and makes a huge offer, I, I think it is, we should not count out their ability now to compete in this market. I mean, they can they can pay Tony Romo's making seventeen and a half million dollars per year. I mean, I, I believe that is more than Sean Payton was making as the head coach. And I think I heard more- nine million for Payton. Nine okay. million was the number. Nine million was the number that I saw in his most recent extension. So there you go. So double that, and so he could get yeah. a pay raise going to. And he's an interesting guy. I mean, there's a there's a Netflix movie about him with Kevin James for a reason. Obviously, there's a perception that people are interested in Sean Payton. So. Was there a reason for that, though? Honestly, well, yeah, Greg Williams was really the driver of that uh, that whole operation. But yeah, but yeah, no. So I, uh, I, I think it is fascinating, and I think he will come back potentially, and that would be the move. Um, as for the Saints, though, yeah, I mean, I don't think he's completely leaving just because their salary cap situation, and all that. But it's going to be hard to, for that to be a competitive roster again next year, especially without Sean Payton. 
Yeah, I mean, I want to push back against the people who are pushing back against the people who are saying that they're in cap hell because maybe like cap hell doesn't exist. Maybe, you know, maybe it's cap purgatory. Maybe it's like it's a different layer of hell. I don't know. I have to reference my old uh, high school Dante's Inferno to figure out where they are exactly in, in, in cap hell. But the thing is, yes, there are ways to restructure a ton of people, maybe cut players who they don't really need anyway, um, extend, you know, do whatever you have to do there to field the, basically the same team as they had here without really losing anyone. Maybe they could bring in a couple of minor people in free agency. Maybe they have the draft picks coming in. But the problem is that's a team that while they were one Rams victory over the 49ers away from making the playoffs, it's not like they're really a serious threat to be a championship team. Upgrading this team from where they are now that's where you have the problem being able to bring in someone via trade like Russell Wilson. That's when you start to have like, you know, you could maybe you could still even do that, but then you're going to probably lose some pieces in there. And when you do all this restructuring, you have this mediocre ish sort of team, you're restructuring everything. You make it more difficult to rip the bandaid off in future years. Also, it makes it more difficult the next year because you're pushing more and more dead money into the future. And I think they've gotten to this problem before. What they had then was Drew Brees and Sean Payton to help make up for the fact that they took massive dead money, you know, a decade ago. And they were still had seven and nine seasons for three consecutive consecutive years with Drew Brees. So I think this is a bigger problem then people want to make it out where they can just dismiss the cap out of hand and say the cap doesn't matter. I mean, it is going to matter just because you're able to, for one season, go all in again does not mean that it's it's inconsequential to what the Saints can do and what flexible solutions they have at this point. Tell me why I'm right. No, I mean, I mean, you are. <laughs> it, it, you, are you are able to clear the books, obviously. If it was impossible, they wouldn't be in this position. But yeah. can you actually add talent, especially now they need a quarterback? Can you, if you if you don't like anyone in the drafts, yeah, can you trade for a Russell Wilson, which I would guess now that Sean Payton's gone, that that is that is no longer a reality. Right. But but still, can you do that and still build around them? I mean, I also think we don't realize this defense was obviously incredible this year. Three of the, in my opinion, five best players on this defense are Cam Jordan, who's 32, Malcolm Jenkins, who's 32, and Demario Davis, who's 32. I mean, like. They're also getting so lucky in certain areas where old players are staying healthy and playing at a high level, just things that are not going to continue to happen. And then you have limited resources and you don't have the talent. So no, I I think it's, uh, yes. Can they clear the books? Of course Um, they've set themselves up. So these contracts are restructurable, but you know, and and look, I also, I'm confident if they wanted to retain like a Trey Hendrickson last off season, they could have found a way to do it, but is there a, a decision or maybe, or are they looking at Trey Henderson and saying, you know, if we had a healthy cap, I would have paid him $15 million a year. Because we have an unhealthy cap, we're only going to offer 12 Maybe that is part of the calculus. We'll never know, of course. Um, but, yeah, it, it's not fair to say that it doesn't limit things from happening. I mean, they tried to get Jadavion Clowney, and they could not get him because of the salary cap. We have, it, we have a specific example on the record of them not being able to do something they wanted to do. So it's not fake, even though you can manipulate it to an extreme degree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the hell comes into play when the player it, it all revolves around the the players and how well they're playing. If if players continue to play well, like in uh, you know in perpetuity, 
then you could continue to restructure them in perpetuity and you wouldn't, you wouldn't have a problem, but, and the saints have been lucky that they've had these players that you mentioned who continue to play well, well beyond what you would expect. But even for those players, whenever you restructure someone, you are a hundred percent taking cap out of what is likely their most productive years and moving it into what will be likely a less productive year or is less likely to be more productive than their current years. That's what you're doing over and over and over again. And eventually it's go- something will happen. The, the Saints have just been ultra lucky in some ways or skillful in their personnel to have these players who've had these extended careers and then been able to fill the voids with draft picks along the way. Yeah, and I think also this is probably where it comes in and you realize the, the value of a head coach. I mean, I, I kind of agree with you at the top of the show. Look, talent at the end of the day on both sides of the ball is going to dictate how successful you are. But, I mean, this roster this past season with, let's say, just a, a league average coach versus Sean Payton, they might win three games. I mean, I don't think it's crazy to say that. Maybe that's a little bit low. But, like, it's, yeah. I mean, it's just not a talented roster. And, and Yes, it's not about can you get all can you get under the cap? Sure. Can you get under the cap and then add talent? We'll see, but they didn't add any free agents last offseason, not, not any marquee guys at least. Um and you know, like Atlanta's in the same boat. They literally signed nobody in free agency. Poor Matt Ryan getting hit on every single drop back. Like, look, he's still good. He still willed them to some victories because he's a good quarterback. But in the same way, like you said, with Breeze going seven and nine three years in a row. I mean, you're kind of just, you have Matt Ryan, who's not, you know, he's not 2016 Matt Ryan, but you have Matt Ryan and you had one of the worst point differentials in the NFL. I mean, it's, 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 it's because of your salary cap. Yeah. And then talking about head coaching here. So like, who are they going to get to coach this team? I mean, Dennis Allen's been a popular name that's thrown out there. Obviously he's been very, probably the most successful part of the team this season was the defense, especially in high profile games, like the couple of games against the the Bucks this year, where they, they won them both of those games, essentially what, what the defense did there and really kept them in a lot of the ways here. I saw some commentary immediately after Peyton left, which I was shocked by saying that this became a very attractive job for, for coaches again, for these cap, for these reasons that I talked about there, the lack of quarterback, the cap situation, everything else, the inability to maybe build around what you're wanting to do there. Um, the, living in the shadow of Sean Payton, all of those things don't sound that attractive to me, but at the same time, there are only 32 head coaching gigs in the NFL. So it's not like most candidates can, can balk at something like that. What, what do you think is going to end up happening here? Is it going to be Dennis Allen? Is it going to be, or is there a real chance that someone from the outside they're going to bring into this position? You know, the reason you're always left, which supposedly left, which supposedly interviewing there, by the way, yes, that, that's, that's yes, the most yeah, recent. I, I know, okay. great, great leverage play there. I mean, maybe not, maybe they, they're actually interested um, the reason you're always going to hear support for the Saints job, even if it's the worst roster in the NFL with negative a billion dollars, is because the reason they have negative a billion dollars is because their owner, Gail Benson, will let you spend as much as you would like and you can add as much talent as you want. I would get, if you made me guess how much cash they spent on talent on, the, on average the last five years compared to the NFL average, I would say it's 130%, you know, like 1.3x the NFL average. So, that's why you're going to hear that, yes, you might be bad for a couple of years, but, you know, let's say you, you hypothetically down the road, you find a quarterback, you, you, you kind of retool the roster, you're then going to have the leeway to spend a bunch. So it does sound like Dennis Allen is probably the, the presumed favorite. Like you said, I mean, had a great defense this year, a former head coach with the Raiders, so, you know, he's not an inexperienced guy by any stretch. Um, 
I think Aaron Glenn, who, who is the Detroit Lions defensive coordinator, was with the Saints you know, last year with Dan Campbell. I think he's a legitimate candidate there as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I think I guess to that point a little bit to kind of unravel it a bit too, I do think there's probably an argument to let's look at it with the Bears, kind of go back to that example because they had similar candidates. If you come in with Justin Fields and you suck for two years, you might get fired in two years. If you come in and you're quasi Adolfo Mensa, let's say you trade Kirk Cousins away and you suck for two years, that's expected, right? I mean, I mean, you should suck for two years. So it's like maybe the Saints thing is in your mind you go, I'm not going to have any expectations until 2023, maybe even 2024. And then, yeah, if I screw up and we still stink in three years, you know, I'll be gone. But that those incentives, I think people overlook, like getting to get your guy versus inheriting a guy and having immediate expectations and all of that. I mean, look, the average coach gets one job and the average GM gets one job. So there are, of course, examples of retreads and Dennis, I mean, Dennis Allen would be one, but I think that would be interesting if I was a coach looking at the Saints as well, as I would say, maybe I get some runway here to, to kind of let, they'll give me a couple of years because they're, they're, they're you know, realistic with where we're at. Yeah, no, no, that, that's a good point. And you as someone who has lived in New Orleans, not, not a bad spot, not a bad spot to, to, uh, you know, put down some stakes and, uh, and, and, and make a tent there and, uh, live, live out in that culture. I could get used to it. I could get used to it. a little hot, a little hot during the summer, but, uh, but very good there. Okay. Brad, this has been fantastic, exhaustive. I'm glad that you were able to do this and to get all your information out there. Everyone should be following Brad on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad, I believe. Uh, well, what else you got cooking here during the free agency co- coaching cycle that you want to plug before we get out of here? Yeah, so about to drop uh, an article on one free agent each team should, should do their best to prioritize. It's always free agency starts in your own building, right? You want to make sure you retain the guys. You have the best intel on them because you know how they fit because they've already been there. Um, so that's coming out soon. And yeah, like you said, everything free agency and this head coaching and GM cycle, I'll be covering it all. All right. Well, make sure you check that out. Uh, for that sounds like somewhat exhausting to write, but congratulations to you to get it to get through all thirty all thirty two teams there, and uh, for figuring out who those players will be on some of the NFL teams. Where I don't know if there's many people you want to keep. Um, anyway, everyone else, tune in. I'll be back at you on Tuesday next week with reviews for the conference championships, and then getting everything ready for the rest of the year. Otherwise, I'll be talking to all of you later. Thanks so much. 